What I have found is that for most people I speak with, their success has come at the cost of their own needs. So on their path to success, if you look behind, what you will see is a trail of broken promises to themselves. They've kept the promises to everyone else. They've met everyone's expectations, but along the way, whatever promises they've made to themselves, hey, I'm gonna like eat healthier, I'm going to like pick up this like hobby, whatever it is, they've let that, they've let that go. But the second you try to shift your locus of motivation and your why from so I don't get in trouble and disappoint people to because this genuinely matters to me, then that becomes extremely important. That is your biggest asset, your belief in yourself, that your word matters and that you're going to follow through. Hey, it's Zach here and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I'm here today with Philippe Danielitis, who's a former Wall Street lawyer turned life and career coach. You're also the co-creator of what you call The Garden, which is a group learning retreat in Greece inspired by the teachings of ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus, which is on the art and practice of living well. Number one, Felipe, super excited to have you here. But number two, are we on the right show? You're a lawyer. I don't, I don't talk to a lot of lawyers on this show with all the artists and creatives and thinkers and problem solvers. And this is going to be an interesting conversation today. Well, you could say that lawyers are artists. We are artists in our own way, our craft of writing. So there we go. We are problem solvers, certainly by nature and thinkers. Uh, maybe a little too much. <laughs> we might uh, err on the side of thinking too much, but I would say there's a lot of of overlap, or I would imagine there is. And also, when an invitation is extended, a generous one, I love to accept. So I'm here at your very kind and gracious invitation and looking forward to spending some time 
speaking together. Well, I'm very excited about what we are going to talk about today. The reason being that, as I alluded to, it's it seems odd mm-hmm. at first glance on the surface that I'd be talking to a lawyer. But what you've already packaged so perfectly is the purpose of today's conversation, which is recognizing the similarities amongst mm-hmm. people that we feel should be so different. Oh, I'm a creative. I'm an artist. I'm a musician. I'm a painter. I'm a thinker. I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. I'm a lawyer, right? Like we, we just we feel like these are supposed to be so different. But what we're going to find are the universal challenges that we have as humans that are just trying to survive, much less thrive in the 21st century. And that's where you and I are going to go so deep today is understanding how it is that we can really figure out what is it that we want out of our life? How do we overcome all the the madness that's coming at us, uh, the burnout that we experience across various industries? Mm -hmm. So we're going to dive into all of that. But here's where I actually want to start. I don't get a chance to talk to a lot of life and career coaches. I talk a lot more to entrepreneurs and artists and people that are more in my field. Mm -hmm. But what I have found is a pattern. The more that I've really learned about this industry and I've tried to become a better uh, coach myself is that you find most people that make a career transition doing this kind of work, they all have the origin story where they hit their unique version of rock bottom. It wasn't a matter of, oh, this would be an interesting thing for me to do next. They have such a horrific story in their own mind of going through something really difficult. They came out of it and they realize, I want to help other people get through the same challenge. I'm curious, do you have your own version of an origin story that led you from lawyer to life and career coach? Of course, because there's no other reason why I would have put myself through the the challenges to make that kind of a transition and to get all of the looks from friends and family being like, are you are you out of your mind? What are you doing? I'm like, I I got to do it. Yeah, there are. We were to track. I was I was listening earlier to an earlier podcast that you did with uh, Chris Vogler. Mm-hmm. around the hero's journey. And so understanding also that I'm speaking to an audience that is wet, very well versed in story, mm-hmm. the structure, the narrative, the arc of story. And for me, through that lens, so I was working in corporate law. I was on Wall Street. I had reached the pinnacle. I was on the 54th floor of my office building looking out at Manhattan. So as far as I understood and what I was expecting in my life, I had reached the promised land or reached the land where all of the promises that had been made to me about how happy and satisfied I would be where they all were. And I was about three years into that that time on Wall Street when a uh, I decided to have surgery on a thyroid tumor that had been discovered years earlier, actually on a, a metro in DC. A woman came up to me, just like jump around, but come right back came up to me on the metro in D.C. and said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to bother you, but I'm a nurse and I think that you have a thyroid problem. And went to the bar where my friend and I was heading, went right into the bathroom, looked into the mirror, and for the first time realized that I had this very noticeable, sizable lump on my neck. Fast forwarding to in the doctor's office in New York and getting the diagnosis that for the moment it was benign, but it was pretty significant. And the doctors were like, you should probably take this out, but being the diligent, just graduated law school aspiring lawyer that I was, I had the bar to study for, and then I had to get going working. I didn't have time to take care of this. And so I just kicked the can down the road and for three years would go and get checkups every year. And they'd say, hey, you really need to take care of this. 
Uh, and I was like, I just don't have time to do that. I have too much work to do, uh, even though it was making it difficult for me to breathe, actually, at times as well. So there was a real discomfort. I finally had the surgery as right around the time I was turning 30. Instead of taking two weeks off, which is what they recommended, I took one week off because we were really busy at work. During that week off at home, because the partners knew that I was just sitting around at home anyways, which we may all be familiar with now from the pandemic of, well, you're not doing anything else, so you might as well work. I pulled an all-nighter working in my, my first week off when I was at home recovering. The second week, so my first week back in the office, I pulled another all-nighter on the heels of this very significant surgery that I was still in the early stages of recovering from. And I had this moment at around three in the morning while I was just, you know, surrounded with papers on the floor going through it of what am I doing? Like, what am I actually doing? And it's in a way I'm in, embarrassed, but I realize it's actually really important to, to speak to this. And I'm, I'm proud of myself that I wound up doing something with it in my life. It was really the first time that I like, picked my head up from all the busy work that I was doing from the just moving forward and achieving to really ask myself what I was doing in my life and what direction I was heading and why I was making the choices that I was making. And there's more to that story, right? Cut to three or four years later of negotiating and saying, well, maybe if I'm not a corporate lawyer, maybe I'll do something else. So I took a series of other jobs that were a little bit more manageable, uh, but still not quite it until finally around 34, I was again on the subway. I've had some very consequential life moments on subways. God, where would your life be if you lived in Los Angeles and you were in your car all by yourself? My goodness. <laughs> Probably talking to myself. Is that what, is that what you all do? Uh, I'm moving to Austin a few years ago from New York City. I moved to a city where there's more driving, and that's been a, an interesting change all its own, going from being uh, shoulder to shoulder with everyone all the time. But it was really all to say, and speaking to that idea of the like, the refusal of of the call, right, in the hero's journey, from that moment, 3 a.m., in my office of, this is not right. I proceeded to negotiate and to refuse for an additional three years because I was so afraid of what it would actually mean to step out until uh, that morning on the subway heading into work. I just, I don't know who it was or where the voice came from, but something finally shifted and it was, uh, you know what, enough, let's go. What I want to dig into next, because it has nothing to do with being a corporate lawyer, it has to do with deciding that you want to change your identity. Mm -hmm. is the obvious reaction, which you alluded to a little bit, but it's, are you crazy? Yeah. People just, they don't understand it until they've been in it. I went through uh, almost the exact same experience minus the tumor where mm -hmm. I had been working for years and years and years to get the top of the ladder working on top level A-list television shows and movies yeah. and finally got to the point where I was on a TV show called Empire, which at the time was breaking ratings records, was the number one show on the network in the country. And they were talking about it, sweeping all the awards. And I've never been more miserable realizing I've worked so hard to get here. Mm -hmm. And here was stuck in a dark room for 16 hours a day, never seeing my kids while they were much younger and I was missing key moments of their life. I was exhausted all the time. I was miserable and I was in my car commuting three hours a day. 
And I think that there are a lot of people that have either had experiences like that recently or are working towards it, where they see the promised land based on the way that other people say you should live their lives. It's going to be, you have these credits, or you have this paycheck, or you have the corner office, or you have the 54th floor view of Manhattan, whatever it is in somebody's world. And they just assume, well, right now it's a struggle, but I'm going to get there and I'm going to feel like I've made it. And those that get there realize how empty it is. And yeah. you've had that experience and I've had that experience. And I think there are a lot of people that follow the show. Definitely the people that I work with in my coaching program, they're at that place too. Mm-hmm. So the first step to me is when you decide you want to make this identity shift, it's working through all the people that are constantly trying to pull you back like the crabs in the bucket. You're crazy. You should be so grateful and thankful for what you've worked for and achieved. Why would you ever want to do anything else? How did you face that as you were having your own identity crisis and everybody else was piling on top of the identity crisis? Yeah, I didn't do it alone. And no lawyer is going to give 100% guarantee on everything. So you'll hear me caveat. It's a habit of speech. I apologize in advance for it. So I don't I don't know if this is for everyone, but I, I have yet to meet someone and certainly this was the case for me is that i did not do it alone and i don't think it would have been possible for me to take that first step out on my own so after the initial the surgery and that moment right the uh, dark night of the soul up in my in my office when i first started asking these questions i started asking them aloud and i asked them to my parents i'm like wait what am i doing and everyone freaked out they're like wait 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 what actually, what are, what are you doing? Like, no, like you're good. Stay there. You've worked so hard to get to this point. And I wasn't really sure in a way I had these questions, but I didn't have enough of a, I don't know if that I wasn't taking them seriously enough, maybe that there was still so much fear that I wasn't ready to really commit to those questions and exploring and seeing where they would take me. And so I backed off and that was three more years until the tension finally got to that point again where things broke and I was like, okay, I know I need to move forward. And I knew at that moment that I could not do it alone. And so what I did, and this is not a plug for coaching, but this is honestly part of my my own story. I never intended to become a coach when I decided that I wanted to leave corporate law and make some changes. That wasn't the career jump that I had in mind. My connection to coaching, exposure to it was a friend of mine from college who had made her own transition from marketing executive into coaching. And we had one of these heart to hearts at a friend's wedding while I was in the midst of all of this. And I remember leaving that weekend going, wow, like Devin, that was such an amazing conversation. I have not been listened to in that way and had someone ask me questions without jumping in with, and I think that you should do this, or you're doing a great job, put your head down, like pay your dues, all this stuff that people are offering oftentimes in you know, good, good faith wanting to be helpful. But what they're really doing is maybe sucking the air out of the out of the space. And so our conversation really stayed with me. And so when I got to my office from the train that day and was in the throes of, okay, I've got to leave. She was the first call that I made. And it was a, hey, Devin, how you doing? (laughs) Good. Like, so here's the deal. I know I need to make some changes. I've hit that point. I've got to do it but I'm terrified. And I don't think that I'm going to take that step unless someone nudges me. Can you do that? And she said, yeah, I figured that you would be calling. I was just waiting, but yes, I can nudge you. And I said, perfect. 
let's go. And we worked together for five months meeting, you know, weekly. And I would say in that time, that one hour that I, that I had with her felt like the only space I had in my life at that time where I could put down my uh, defenses or not brace myself for what was going to be the kinds of messages that you were alluding to earlier to try to bring me back into the fold. Yeah. And I would also guess that it just, it allows you to number one, more authentically connect with who you instinctually and intuitively believe you can become next. Yeah. But also what I think is so important about the coaching process, and this is just becoming a blatant advertisement for joining a coaching program between the both of us, but we're both coming from a place of having coaches that helped us and realizing that this is a role that I want to have in somebody else's life. The other thing that I've learned, and it's a lesson I'm still learning to this day, and I don't understand why on the neural level of the way the brain is wired, but we are absolutely horrible at being able to do this for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have no ability to step outside of ourselves and objectively think, oh, this is the next best step and I should be doing this and I feel confident in all of it. Even to this day, as a coach, I find myself being very good at helping other people simplify their next steps and then I get completely lost in my own mind and I can't do it myself. So I still surround myself with people to give me that objectivity. And to me, like you said, you really can't do it alone because you get so lost in your own mind and your own limiting beliefs and your own fears that you just need somebody that can give you that safe space to process and organize all the craziness between your ears. Yeah, I think that's part of the genius of our design that we are in a way incomplete on our own, that we need one another in order to become the fullest expressions of who we are and to connect with the gifts that we are here to offer and to be guided in learning how to offer those gifts in a skillful way. So I think if we we live in a culture, and I think a lot of the, I would suspect that a, a lot of the similarities that your listeners in the in the creative field and and so my clients or my background in, in law, I don't only work with lawyers, but primarily now it's a lot of my experience dealing with lawyers that even though we come from different professional fields, that we are all certainly in North America and the United States, uh, we've all been raised in a culture that is broadcasting certain messages and a certain narrative of what it means to be successful and what are the qualities and the you know the skill sets the approaches of uh, a person who is successful in life and so we've all been conditioned by those and i think one is this idea that self-reliance or autonomy right rugged individualism is something that we should aspire to and then that's a sign of of success in life and i've found that that's well, I haven't found a way to reach that. I don't I don't think it's possible, certainly not possible for me, but I also I don't think it's necessary and I think it it cuts against the again the genius of our incomplete nature which invites us into relationship and reliance with one another. I think that's a beautiful way to put it that I'd never considered is what a gift it is that we are incapable of managing this on our own because by far the most rewarding thing that I've ever done is build this coaching program. Mm. It's also the most frustrating, hardest thing that I've ever done. It would be so much easier to just go back to editing TV and movies and making good money and having a uh, you know, very consistent schedule and the income is just gonna show up. But I already know what that felt like at the, the top or the, the relative top mm. and it just wasn't fulfilling 
fulfilling and rewarding and surrounding myself with people and helping them through this journey. I mean, I just, I get up every day and I'm excited to get on a Zoom call and help people through these challenges and answer these questions. But I, I'd never seen it through the lens of gratitude, of being thankful that we are wired in such a way that we are not capable of doing this on our own. But what you point out that I want to shine a light on even further is this idea of the Western perspective of rugged individualism. And we think I'm supposed to be able to do this on my own. And it's a sign of strength. But then the funny thing is, when you think about all the people that we idolize in our culture, none of them got to that point without an entire team around them. But nobody talks about that. Somebody like LeBron James, he spends millions of dollars a year to have people on staff to be his entire care team. He's not doing it by himself. He's got a whole team of coaches. Same with anybody else that's successful in Hollywood or even any other industry. That was a really major aha moment for me when I entered this field. And I started realizing that if you look at somebody that we idolize as having made it, you learn that they have an entire team around them. That kind of shocked me. But yeah. it also gave me permission to start accepting more help. Yeah. I, I often think about I imagine myself sitting in a movie theater and watching a movie of whatever story. And the threshold that I have is, would this be believable? Is this something that I would sit there and agree with? Like, yeah, I'm on board with this movie, with the characters, or is this too contrived or fake? And I would actually ask ask you or if someone, if we can't come up with one and one of your listeners has an idea and they want to let you know, then I'm, I'm happy to be informed or corrected. But I would imagine that if we were sitting in a movie theater, eating popcorn on a Saturday afternoon, enjoying a movie, and in the movie, the main character has an entire transformation in their life, whatever it is, in whatever context, and does it completely on their own from start to finish without eliciting the help of anyone else, gaining any outside information or perspective that was essential to completing whatever, you know, arc or like growth in their character that is, you know, at the, at the core of the movie. You know, if we were sitting there and that happened, even if they tried to make that movie, I'd be like, this is a horrible movie. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I just don't you buy tell it. Me, I, you're the expert. Have you ever yeah, seen No, I, I, I totally agree that there probably are movies like that, and I can't think of one off the top of my head, but probably because if I saw it, I thought, well, you know, this isn't really well put together, and this wasn't well written, and it's not motivated, and it's not sucking me in as believable, and there's no empathy because yeah. I don't feel that struggle and that need to reach out to somebody else, but it's all about the transformation. The hero's journey is the, the reason that we are sucked into story, yeah. and – when we watch somebody else's story, we don't like, we're not thinking, well, you know, Rocky was kind of weak because he needed Mickey as his coach. Like, that's one of the most important relationships in that movie. You look at Luke Skywalker and Yoda, Neo and Morpheus. We don't see them as weak because they had these mentors and these guides in their lives. That's the most important relationship in the movie that leads to transformation. But then when it comes to us personally, oh, well, I need to figure it out on my own because I need to be the rugged individual. And just that, that disconnect is staggering to me. But yeah. like you said, it's just culturally bred into us and conditioned into us that we need to do it on our own. And my theory is that's not a flaw in the system. 
that is the system because then it makes us feel like we can't speak up, we can't band together, and we can't set boundaries around like working these long hours and all-nighters just to put together a document or a brief or, you know, deliver a, a cut of a television episode, whatever it might be. Because even the people that are literally saving lives that are in ERs, that are the nurses, that are doing the, the work that's going to save our lives, even they take breaks so they can recover. But we feel that if we're putting together briefs or whatever the work is, well, we're just machines. Yeah. If I could ask, I'm curious, in your profession, so in your experience, and also with the people who you you help, what is the the fear to asking for help to raising your hand or maybe poking your head out of like the dark editing room and being like, man, I'm this is not going well. I need some help to figure this out. I'm just in a, in a place where I feel like I'm underwater and can't. I would say that the two biggest fears are number one, it makes me look weak. Uh-huh. And number two, I don't have time for that. What do you Just mean? like you said, where when you were right out of the, the operating room, having a tumor removed, oh, literally, yeah. oh, but I'm too busy. So I'm working from home and pulling an all-nighter. You mm-hmm. step outside of that. And I'm sure if you had some objective perspective from an outside observer, they'd be like, this is crazy. What are you doing? Why would you value this one brief you're working on all night versus your health? But when you're in it, you don't sense that. So you just, you constantly get in the pattern of there just isn't enough time. I will get to this. That's usually the biggest objection. But the other one is, and I'm, I'm hoping that I've at least been a small part of breaking down this barrier, at least in my sector of the industry, is that it was taboo to talk about the fact that I'm depressed, Mm -hmm. that I'm burned out, that I'm exhausted. Because if people ascribe that identity to me, because this is a freelance industry, nobody's ever going to hire me again, because I'm the weak one in the herd and not the strong one. Yeah. So those are the two biggest fears that I hear over and over. Yeah, it's a it's a tragedy. Honestly, I, I, as I experience it, we have the privilege of being let into people's lives. We have certain one on one in a in a Zoom call or whatever the context is to sit and to be let into a person's life and to have them share where they're at and what's going on. And it's a real a, a gift and a privilege to to have that. And something that I've noticed is that I'll speak to someone who is ex- expressing that and feeling very alone. Right? I'm the only one who's going through this. I'm dealing with this. And they don't know this. But what I know, because after our call, I'm speaking with someone else that I could be speaking and was speaking with people who are, let's say, in the office, the next office over. So the the tragedy is that we, many of us are going through these very normal struggles on our, on our own. Certainly, they might be not exaggerated, but like amplified by, you know, pandemic and certain things that are happening, but it's just in the course of human life. We go through you know, good times and bad and difficulties. And that's all part of the experience. But to be going through that, feeling alone when the person who literally shares a wall with you is experiencing the same thing, also feeling alone in that experience. And I thought, and this was one of the reasons why I wanted to shift. And I know you already offer group programs or you're bringing people together. Why I wanted to, in a compliment, the one-on-one work with group work, what I would call culture work of bringing people together so that these struggles, these challenges could come out into the open and people could find ways to relate to one another, see themselves in one another's experience. And also, I think, to be witnessed 
by other people going what you're going through and to still be welcomed and included is such a powerful experience uh, to have and a gift that we can give one another. Right? There's room for, you know, can be room for advice giving at times. Like, absolutely. Either sometimes I've reached out to someone and I'm like, I don't need that counsel. I just need specific advice on this. Like, please. And that's totally fine. So sometimes advice is helpful, but what I've found, and I would love to hear your experience as a you know leader and facilitator of, of these groups, of these communities that you've you've cultivated that offering another person your attention and your presence and let's say nothing more and just that and witnessing their experience and allowing it to be there is a really tremendous and profound and life-changing gift that you can give to someone. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. I don't know if I could say it any better than you already did, but just to kind of extend upon it and give you my perspective of this idea of the community and the group process versus the individual process, when this first started, it was simply a matter of, I know what I don't want to do anymore, mm-hmm. and I need to figure out a way to generate income that's not working in editing in Hollywood so that I have a buffer so I can take a break but not be freaked out about the lack of income. And it started with, I want to build online courses and I want to teach. I love teaching. It's in my blood. My entire family surrounded by teachers. I had taught, taught at USC, and I'm like, oh, it'd be cool if I could teach stuff online. So, of course, you go to the online course that explains here's how to package your course and build an email audience and charge them this and blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And I started doing that and I realized I liked the teaching process, but my students 
the ones that were paying me real money, I would reach out and they weren't getting results. And I found out later that's endemic in the entire online course industry yeah. where the completion rate is like 5%. It's so embarrassingly low. And the people that succeed are the ones that master the marketing funnel game. But what they haven't mastered is the getting people real results game. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, let me, let me look into coaching. Mm-hmm. And I started working with a few people privately. And what I found very, very quickly, and this is one of the things you mentioned, is that I would have conversations with them and secretly have this imposter syndrome of who the hell am I to think that I can give them all the best advice and solve their problems. But I had more than one person over you know, multiple months that they would share something and I would just reflect it back upon them and they would break down in tears. And I would say, well, what's going on? They're like, somebody's finally listening to me. Somebody finally hears the challenges that I'm going through and I'm not coming to you because I think you have all the answers, but the fact that you're here and present and allowing me to express this and not like we talked about before, not telling me I'm crazy or trying to put me back in my box, Mm -hmm. that was invaluable. So then when I thought, and this was more from a business perspective at first, well, there's only so many hours in the day. And if I want to transition from this as a nice little side hustle to this as a business, Mm -hmm. either my prices skyrocket or I have to serve more people in the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. So I started talking to a few people that said, try groups. Are you kidding? I can never help more than one person on a call at once. That's crazy. I had this imposter syndrome about helping one, but five people, you're nuts. Then all of a sudden I get five people on a call with the same curriculum going through the same journey. And it was just this huge aha moment of it wasn't just I can scale my ability to work with more people in the same 60 or 90 minutes. They would come to me afterwards and they would say, I have felt so alone thinking Mm -hmm. I'm the only one going through this. Being on a call with five other people or 10 or 15 other people that are going through the same thing has just completely changed my perspective and my ability to know that I might actually get through this watching other people that are going through it. And then the next step was, well, could I do this with more than five at once? Well, that's crazy. Could I do this with 15 or 20 or 150 people on a call at once? That's insane. Same thing kept happening. And the messages that I get over and over from my students in the Slack community is as soon as they join, they go on to an office hours call where they'll have one or two or three students that'll do an individual hot seat with me, but in a group setting. Mm-hmm. And it could be somebody that I've never heard of. They registered. I didn't even have a call with them. And they say, oh my God, I can't believe I'm not alone. I've mm-hmm. spent years thinking there's something wrong with me or I'm the only person going through this. We're all going through this. That to me is so much more invaluable than, you know what, here's how to tweak the headline of your resume. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the, the, the group community experience went from, well, maybe this is a way to help me scale a little bit to this could be a fun little side feature where, oh, I'll add this Slack community to one of the, the bullet points to my business is building community and the education is now a feature. And that was, I never saw that coming, but building community is now what I do for a living and the coaching and the online courses and all the other, those to me are bells and whistles, but that's not the business model. The business model is building a safe space of creatives and artists and thinkers and problem solvers where we can work through all these major transitions, life challenges, and learning all of the life skills that the world never taught us. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. And I'm I'm happy that you're doing it. I'm happy for the community that you serve, that you're doing it. And to those of you who are listening, who haven't joined the community yet, not as a market, not as a pitch to that, but just to say, I promise you, and Zach, maybe if you want to join, I'll let you join if you want. I promise you that whatever it is that you are thinking that you are dealing with on your own, 
whatever problem or challenge, character flaw, however it is that you framed it, that is in the way of greater you know, connection, happiness, fulfillment, engagement that you think is, is specific to you. It's your personal experience and you are experiencing something that is part of the human experience that I promise you people around you are also experiencing. And so I know the depths of the, nothing can make you feel alone, like sitting by yourself at the, on the 54th floor in a small office at three in the morning, looking down at the city while people, I would see cars. So I would see life happening and the city going on from the, like the stillness and the quiet and the solitude of that, of that office. So I understand the the depth of that feeling and can just promise you that there are people not too far away from you in all ways we could (laughs) physically, geographically, spiritually, psychologically, who are there, uh, who are going through that experience. And one, a really powerful way that that finally landed for me, it was actually through storytelling, was through mythology which I know have uh, have an interest in certainly on prior podcasts, but also as a as a storyteller. And that for me, bringing mythology, let's say into my life, not into my, it was there, being introduced to mythology in a way where it wasn't just entertainment, but engaging with these stories in a, in a way where treating them as roadmaps, treating them in a way where there was something there in those stories, some wisdom, some insight about what it is to be human that was so important that we as human beings decided to preserve and carry these stories for hundreds and hundreds of years and to still have them in our life, that there's something in there. And I found real comfort and connection in seeing myself and seeing the struggles that I have in my own life in the stories that were told thousands of years ago, across cultures, across the world. I don't know. I'm wondering what your yeah, experience I mean, Well, first of all, I, I agree with all of that. Uh, kind of it as a side note, but not completely a side note. What's fascinating about this that you are unaware of mm-hmm. is I've recorded multiple additional podcasts that are talking about this exact topic of storytelling and the science of storytelling and why our brains are wired to be driven towards stories and why we want to tell better stories they haven't come out yet, at least as of recording this, most likely by the time our interview will have come out, it will be coupled with those because it's the perfect extension of what I talked about with Christopher Vogler and then d- digging deeper into both understanding both the art, but also the science of storytelling and also how we better tell our own stories. So like from the outside, looking in, hearing you talk, I'm like, oh my God, I already know exactly where to put this conversation in the rotation because <laughs> you're talking about all these things that I've talked about endlessly in other interviews that you haven't even listened to. But the the part that I really want to highlight, and if I get in legal trouble for this, I'm going to need you as my uh, representative, but I'm going to go one layer further than you. You promised I'm going to guarantee, and I know that word scares you, I'm going to guarantee whatever experience you're going through right now, and not you, I'm talking to the people that are listening and watching this, whatever experience you're going through, I guarantee you're not the first one to experience it. 
Mm-hmm. It is not this unique once in a lifetime. Maybe the the specific details of are unique to you, but the general experience is part of the human experience. I guarantee that somebody else has gone through it and there are other people out there that can support you. Yeah. And it's all part of us being involved in each other's stories rather than thinking we are telling our own story. And that brings me to where I want to transition to next mm-hmm. is we haven't talked about editors versus directors versus writers versus lawyers at all. We're talking about the human experience. And what I'm interested in hearing from you, because I know it's going to be way more similarities than differences, but because you're in a different industry, I just, I want to confirm my hypothesis that you work with a lot of very type A, very driven, very ambitious people. And what I would love to know in your practice of either working in that field or now working as a coach in that field, Mm -hmm. what are the patterns that you see and the stories that you hear over and over and over that you feel are leading people towards both burnout and this identity crisis of what do I even want out of my life? Yeah, um, no, that's a great question. So uh, the name of my coaching business is the Blue Pen Project. And that name comes from the problem that I sought to solve, which I called the, the Red Pen problem. And just to take a few, I'll land it, I'll land the plane in, in one or two minutes, but just to lay it out because it's it's really provided the, the conceptual foundation of all the, the work that I do. So being the good lawyer researcher that I am, when I sought out to create programs and frameworks to help people I work with, and yes, your hypothesis is, is correct. So to start from that, that point, I did my research and I spoke to literally hundreds of lawyers asking them what was the, let's say, the biggest obstacle in their way to a more engaged, fulfilling life. And there was a range, of course, of of answers, but it was, you know, no time, no energy, right? Stress, burnout, probably a lot of the same things that you would hear. But after I gathered, it was over 400 I went back through the data and I was looking at everyone's answers. And what I really I pulled out were a couple of, of themes that I thought were really the, the, the core of people's challenges. So what I noticed that they were like thematically, there were like three areas of concern that were leading to the vast majority of problems that lawyers were articulating. And the first was the expectation of reality. And this was their thought of like how life is, whatever the answer to the question of like, this is how life goes, this is what it's about. And it's not really an objective response that we have. Like we have a bias in the way that I like to test that is if you went on some amazing like vacation or had some experience and came back to work and you run into someone in the hallway and they say, or a family member who's just a curmudgeon and they say, welcome back to reality. Like when they say that, right, how do they mean it? They're not like screaming like confetti, like, welcome back, like you've been gone, right? There's a message in that that speaks to this idea of where we think reality is and what it should feel like, what being successful, responsible feels like. So there was that anchoring of where they think reality is and what it should feel. The second was uh, what I call like the primacy of others' needs, like lawyers were good students right? Just kind of like by definition to get into law school and and school was all about doing what the teacher said, being really good at that. Being a lawyer is all about doing what the client says and being really attuned to the needs and expectations of others. And so a lot of the people I spoke to were very sensitive to 
how whatever they might do would affect and let down, you know, disappoint their team, certainly, but their family, right, parents, friends, whoever. So they were primarily focused on, on that. And the third was what I call living in the margins. So they were exhausted, right? They were burned out and they were trying things, but they weren't really working. And what I noticed is, well, they weren't really working because most of their life, let's say, was already spoken for. So after you took like the reality of like how things are and their responsibilities and other people's expectations, there was this little sliver left of their own life that they had some measure of control over that they could do something about. And so they were, let's say, calibrating their efforts just to that like 15, 20% of their life that they thought was left over after everyone else had you know, taken their part. And so they were instituting, you know, habits and doing things, but those were fractional efforts that couldn't possibly address the entirety of their lives. And then they were wondering why they weren't really feeling the kinds of changes that they wanted. And what I realized was that those different areas were perfectly encapsulated in the experience of being a lawyer for me as a corporate lawyer. And this your audience may not get this specifically, but I think that's why I wanted to lay out the ideas first and then anchor it in a, a brief metaphor and then we can move on, which is, so as a corporate lawyer, I would spend my whole day drafting these really dry, complex documents sitting in my office, like going at it. But most of the documents uh, were templates. So 80, 75, 80% of what was written had already been written before, right? It was boilerplate. It had already been decided. And so my job was to change the 15, 20% of the terms of the language in the contract to like bring it up to date. So we would call them, you know, these precedent documents. And then after I fixed the 20%, I would send it off to the partner, right? The senior lawyer who would then take a look. And while they were looking, I would sit there nervously, like waiting. And what I was waiting to get back was, a document filled with like corrective red pen. So that was the worst case scenario. But the real aha for me around this was, well, what was the best case scenario that I was hoping for that I was working day and night and sacrificing my health and my relationships for? And for me and for many lawyers, the best case scenario was just a really short email saying, this is fine. Best case scenario was a no comment kind of like neutral, nothing. And that was how I was living my life. 85%. So going back to like those, those first three points, I only felt like I had responsibility or authority to change 15% of my life. The rest was already spoken for like those contracts. And when I was changing those 15%, I was still mindful that whatever I was changing was subject to the approval of someone else who was holding that red pen. And so I was writing with the, the fear and the expectation that whatever I wrote had to meet their approval and had to meet their needs and doing whatever I could to get to this like baseline reality of like, yeah, fine, good enough. So I hope that's not uh, too long. I wanted to uh, lay that out and that's really formed the, the core of my work. And so Blue Pen, and we can get, I'll, I'll stop and if you have any, any questions, we can go in a different uh, direction. But the idea of the blue pen and what that meant was a shift away from that way of thinking and that way of approaching one's life, which was to put down 
the precedents, right? The documents that had mostly other people's writing on it, where you were writing also for someone else to correct, and then picking up a blank piece of paper and a blue pen and daring to write your own life into existence in your own words. And that- Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. And that's the fundamental shift in one's relationship to one's life that has been the biggest change for for lawyers in terms of opening up a lot like new possibilities as to how they can relate to themselves, to their work, what kinds of you know identities, ways of seeing themselves they really want to cultivate and strengthen, and which ways of seeing themselves they want to leave behind. I went into this conversation completely dark, having no idea if my hypothesis was going to be true, but you just confirmed it beyond the shadow of a doubt, which is that if we took all of my client notes and we took your client notes and we removed specific mentions of lawyer versus editor versus writer versus director, or, you know, I work for Paramount versus I work for Goldman Sachs, stuff like that. You take out the superficial details and we mix them around. I don't think we would know whose notes belong to whom. Yeah, Because you're talking about the exact same universal experience that I hear from so many of my clients and the other hypothesis that you are confirming. And I've talked about this with other experts in the fields of science and fulfillment and in happiness. Mm-hmm. And I even asked one of the world's foremost experts, the top teacher at, I believe it's Harvard, about the science of happiness, Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar. Mm-hmm. And I said, here's my hypothesis as a layperson. I believe the root cause of burnout is the disconnect between reality and our expectations. Hmm. You can use that in so many different contexts, but we expect something or we're trying to meet unrealistic expectations or we have internal expectations that aren't being met, whether it's, well, I'm in the corner office and I'm getting paid shit tons of money and I've got an amazing title that I've worked hard for. The expectation of how I should feel doesn't meet the reality of how I feel or the expectation that the industry puts upon you as a lawyer or the industry puts upon me and my audience as a craft, you need to get this amount done in this amount of time, completely unrealistic expectations that the human body simply cannot meet. So there's a whole host of other reasons that I believe lead to burnout, but I think all of them can be broken down to the root level, which is reality and expectation don't align whatsoever. And the reason I wanted to bring this up even further is you mentioned this idea of welcome back to reality, Yeah. right? And I think that, uh, like you said, it's not just the words, it's the tone. And in general, the tone is, well, welcome back down to reality, Yes. right? If you were to add that word, it's much more accurate. The reason I find this so interesting specifically is that in my industry, there is an actual part of it that's called reality, like reality television. The colloquial Uh term is, what do you work in? Oh, I work in scripted TV. I edit features. Oh, I work in reality, Uh right? And people don't think about what that actually means from a more existential level. But so many of the people that I talk to in the very first introductory call, they don't even realize what they're saying. But what they say over and over, I can't go back to reality. And that has such a profound meaning beyond just this is a subgenre of the entertainment industry. They're like, whatever it takes, you got to help me. I can't go back to reality. And I feel like you're talking about the same thing, just in a different industry. Yeah. One of my coaches, Seth uh, Ellsworth, we worked together a number of years ago, and he talked a lot about the power of normal. And that's just for, for human beings. And you're, you're nodding, right? This idea of where we anchor what is normal for us human beings, like we're all very 
adaptable and we can get used to whatever the situation it is that we're in, but also the situation internally, whatever our thought process is, whatever the probably no more than like four or five thoughts that we think there are a lot more that are swirling on repeat again and again in our head that are informing how we how we see ourselves, how we're relating to the world around us. But wherever that normal is for us, and you can put identity, right? Identity is a way of saying, well, what is normal for me? I'm the kind of person who I'm a lazy person. Well, then you're going to act that way because that's what's normal for you. And that's the expectation that you have of yourself is to be a lazy person. So your actions are just going to are just going to confirm that whether or not that's actually true. That is your lived reality because that's to you normal. Mm-hmm. And the power and the challenge that comes with what we've all or not all that's too expansively, but what many of us certainly in a main, you know, let's say mainstream culture have come to agree is normal in terms of how it what it takes to be successful and what it feels like or what it should feel like as we are striving for and achieving that success so that's the for me like the reality is speaking to a subjective what it feels like to be living that life which is uh, you tell me if it's different. And by the way, I will thank you and your community for providing me and my kind with the uh, entertainment and the reprieve on Sunday nights that we could take at least a few hours to forget that Monday morning was coming. So thank you for doing uh, that. You are welcome from uh, myself and everybody else that is listening right now that generates that entertainment. Yeah, so thank you. But but that, right, whatever it was that where we knew where like the end of like Sunday night that we were going back to, that was that normal and what it felt like to be there. That's the normal. That's the reality. And I think many of us are, are pointing to. And so long as we, and I'm going back to right the, the red pen problem, like so long as like this is fine, is what you what you've accepted as normal what you think is the most that you can expect from your life or if like you know welcome back to the reality that reality is that like flat muted gray feeling and that's just how things are well then it's really hard to to uh, adapt right and to maintain in a sustainable way i know you were speaking with i think mike vardy has probably come up in a number of other conversations mm-hmm. well but that idea of like consist, being consistently sustaining different practices, you're not going to, in the long term, stick to and sustain different habits, ways of being that are going to lead to a, a different way of feeling, right? Feeling better, happier, whatever, if you don't separate from and dislodge from what you believe is actually the norm. Does that make sense? It not only does it make sense, but I have a couple of things that I want to add to it specifically for my entertainment driven audiences to hit this point home, because this is such an important part of this process. There are two, two of my favorite quotes from completely different. One is a movie, one is a TV show. They couldn't be more different from each other. But the two quotes are the first one is from the Truman Show, where the quote goes, we accept the reality of the world with which we are presented. It's as simple as that. And then there's a quote from, again, could not be more different, from The Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> which is that ordinary is what we are used to, mm-hmm. right? 
And the reason I bring this up is that these are both very subjective interpretations, not objective interpretations, which, as you said, means that we can change what that version of reality looks like for us. And that's the direction that I want to go to next. Yes. Because this is such a profound problem. There's a disproportionate amount of us talking about in this conversation, specifically the problem, because it's so big. Usually, I like to get a sense of what's the problem and really get into solutions because I'm very action driven. Right, this that's is a lawyer such, that's, right? that's the lawyer. We, we dwell yeah, exactly. on all the problems. I, I apologize. No, I don't want you to apologize at all, because I think that talking about the problem is so important for the reason we've already mentioned, which is that everybody's going through it. Yeah. But now I want to transition to the solution, which is I'm going through all of these things. I'm listening to this. I'm nodding my head to the point where I need a chiropractor. Oh my God, this is me right now. How do I figure out what I really want? How do we start moving towards changing the subjective version of our reality and rewriting our own stories? Where would you start? Where would I start? Well, so when I talk about the blue, the blue pen, right? Picking up a blue pen, living a blue pen life. There are really two things in there. One is recognizing that that's not only possible, but being willing to do that. So the willingness to pick up that pen in the first place, which is an act of courage, which right in the hero's journey, right, that's that first step out of the village into the unknown, where there is like at that moment, the minimum, like the least amount of like certainty, probably zero and maximum uncertainty, the most uncomfortable position psychologically, spiritually, emotionally that a human being can be in. Taking that first step is essential. So that's picking up that pen, stepping out of the village. And I know that's in a metaphorical context, and we can bring that down into you know what that can mean practically. This is the uh, call to adventure. We can get very it. practical. This is the call to adventure. It's it's answering the call to adventure. Yeah, well done. Yes, exactly. Answering the call to adventure, which is now sometimes the gap between hearing the call and answering it. And that's really important as well, because I think a lot of shame can show up for people in that time. It took me three to four years between hearing the call and answering it before I finally did. And that, I'm not saying that that's normal, a normal amount of time. Maybe I could have done it faster, but just to say that there is often a gap and that's also part of the journey. Anyways. If it makes you feel any better, I'm on year seven. I'm still making the transition. So you're not uh, alone. Don't beat yourself up. Oh, you oh, come on. Yeah, no. You're there. You're there. You're at. I'm there-ish. Let's put it that way. That that could be a podcast in and of itself. Okay, we've met um, out in the we've met out in the woods. We are on we are on the road out there on the road of adventure. Yes. So one is is taking that step, answering the call, and then it's learning how to be out there. So going back to like having that freedom, there's a certain comfort in having things written down for you. So if I look down on that page and it was covered with 90% of other people's words, and I was only responsible for 10%, there might be a frustration. But if I'm being honest, and maybe if we all are, there's also a certain comfort in knowing that things were kind of like taken care of, and I'm only responsible for this little bit. So looking down at a blank page, which again, your writers will probably know right, what that's like, that blank page carries with it the freedom and the possibility to go anywhere. And that freedom can be exciting and enthralling and inspiring, but it can also be absolutely terrifying and daunting. And so the the skills and what I've really built my coaching practice around and the the, the book or all the, the tools have been geared toward answering the question of like how how do I write? How do I navigate this blank page? How do I say yes 
to that freedom, to write in my own words, to write my life into existence. And so we can get into you know, some of the, the frameworks, the way I, I think about it. There are you know, specific exercises that we could also talk about if you want to get down on the granular level. But, you know, that's what I would I would say, answering the call to adventure and then cultivating the skills that are really required in order to sustain that freedom. Great. So let's keep digging in. I, this is just going to be a workshop now. So essentially, this is going to be partly literally coming from me because I'm still in the process myself and some stepping into the shoes of some of my students that have come to me much earlier in the process. Yeah. And I know that a, a core question that you help people with is one that I'm still working to answer, but I have a lot of clarity on it. But let's assume that I don't. Yeah. Let's assume that I know what I don't want out of life. Yeah. But other than that, I'm clueless. How do I answer the question, what do I actually want? Yeah. Oh, you're just throwing up some softballs here. These yeah, are this is an easy one. The, the alternative was, uh, could you explain to us the meaning of life? We're just going to answer that right now. And then we'll talk <laughs> 50 billion hits. Um, well, we're, we're talking about how you have to step into this place of discomfort. There's no scarier place than when you're safe and yeah. you're comfortable, right? Yeah. That is, that's, and that's the part that we're talking about. You were finally safe and comfortable mm -hmm. in the 54th floor realizing – I, this is the most miserable place I could possibly be. I was there too. I was safe and I was comfortable and I hated it. Yeah. And what I thrive on is a place of discomfort. I'm constantly seeking the right amount of discomfort because that's where the growth happens. Yeah. So rather than just kind of, you know, going with the little tiny exercises, fuck it. We're talking about the meaning of life right now, okay. right? Okay. All right. So let's, let's, let's problem solve this. I've, I've started sweating a little bit, but in a good way, in good. a good that, like, that, focused it's way. It's funny. I have a client of mine that I can almost set my watch to the point in our sessions yeah. where she takes her uh, outer layer out. She's like, oh my God, I just broke out in a huge sweat. I'm like, yep, it's about uh, 1030. 37, that seems about right. Cause you, you have that parasympathetic response. We're like, Oh my God, this is scary. And yeah. you and I are there right now. We're trying to figure out really big questions and help yeah. people through these transitions. So answer the question for me. What do I actually want? How do I get there? Yeah. So I think when, when people are entering this space, I would say one, again, just like with the, the hero's journey, it's really hard to step out on your own. There's normally a, a guide, right? Some kind of like wisdom. And in that, I don't mean literally like hire a coach. I mean, I know we are who we are and that's part of our, our work, but it doesn't have to be uh, a coach. It can be a friend, but to choose carefully if you're needing some support and finding someone, and this is really, really important. If you're not, you know, working with someone professionally to offer you this kind of support where you're at this moment and you're staring out to find a friend, like someone in your network who has the ability to support you and to listen to you without jumping in and trying to save you and giving advice as to what they think you should do, which is another way of saying, if I was you, be still being me, this is what I would do. So that's really, really important because you're going to be at a very sensitive place and there's a lot of uncertainty. So finding someone who can like honor that and like stay with you in it rather than trying to, you know, grab you by like the, by the shoulder and pull you to, you know, the side of the pool back to safety where they also feel more comfortable. That is essential. And I want to say that upfront. When I'm working with people upfront, I find that the, the first thing that we need to do is uh, to tend to what I call meaningful choice. There are really four, let's say pillars to the, the work that I do. And the first and most important is meaningful choice. And that is expanding the spectrum 
of possibilities and choices that they are entertaining. And to use a, a metaphor, I think sailing is such a perfect metaphor for so much in, in life. I don't, I don't sail, but also for, for coaching and this kind of work. Many of us, many of the people I speak to, this is myself, you're on a ship, right? Your choice is about which direction to sail in. But for many of us, we're choosing from a set of like very narrow predetermined choices. So it's like being on a river where you're sailing and you get to choose to, to sail upstream or downstream. And in a way, it feels like a choice and it is, but you're really picking from choices that have already been made for you. So the first thing to do is to expand out and to transition from being like a ship on a river to a ship in the ocean where there's around you more possibility about the direction that you can go and so that you can make a meaningful choice about which direction to actually go in. That's really, really important. And that's a lot of the, what you might call kind of like the, the mindset, you know, limiting beliefs. I don't know if you've read the book, uh, Designing Your Life. Have you heard of that book? Uh, I've heard of it. I haven't actually read it, but I've read certainly things that are derivative of the same idea. Sure, by the uh, professors at uh, Stanford in their, the design school. And they use the term dysfunctional beliefs, which I like, I personally like a lot better than limiting beliefs because it's mm -hmm. really a question of what's, what's helpful to you. Is this helping you to function in your life, to be the person you want to move in the direction that you want to move in? Anyways, as an aside... So that's that like mindset work of moving from, well, I get to choose to go upstream or downstream to, oh, I can actually entertain the possibility that I have a choice in my life as to which of these directions on the ocean to go in. That's really the first element. And I just want to stop there. Is that is that too conceptual? No, that's perfect. I mean, the, you're using different words to describe the exact same concepts and the same process that I walk through uh, yeah. people through. And for me, it's all about shifting your mindset, which is what you're doing. And yeah. the work that I reference a lot would be Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, which is essentially the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. Yeah. And I love this idea of using the river versus the ocean because the river yeah, you could choose to go upstream or downstream, but for the most part, and the harder the water is rushing, you're kind of going with the flow and you're saying, it is what it is. This is the circumstance that I'm in and I'm going forwards, but what control do I really have? That's the fixed mindset. I am who I am. This is what I'm given. I can't control it or change it or take responsibility for it versus the growth mindset. I can take control and take responsibility for my actions, for my past behaviors, but those are things that can change and grow. And even on the neurological level, this thing called neuroplasticity, we can literally rewire our brains to change our perspective, change our mood, change our level of optimi optimism versus pessimism. Yeah. And that to me is the exact same thing you're talking about with a different metaphor. Out in the ocean, you can go in any direction that you want, but you also don't have the water to do the work for you. You might have a little bit of help from the wind, but you're going to have to put in the effort to choose the direction and go in that direction. So yeah. we're on the same page, yeah. different metaphors. That's the only yeah. difference. And so that's it. Like what the difference is between the river and the ocean, what changes What changes that is, is going to be like you're thinking about right, the kind of person you are, the stories you've been telling yourself about what you think is possible, about what you're motivated to do. A lot of uh, lawyers... I've had this experience where they've been successful at something that they're not necessarily that excited about, which may actually be different than, than your industry, a lot of people in your industry. And so what that success has felt like, where they've gotten motivation from is not from moving towards something that they want, but moving away from the the like failure and disappointment, like you know, getting a bad grade 
getting fired. So it's more avoidant of bad outcomes as a source of motivation rather than moving towards something that's actually exciting to them. And there's a fear that if they were to take that source of motivation away, right, the stick that's like, okay, if you don't do this thing, you're going to be in trouble, that they would literally collapse into a puddle on the ground and not do anything because there's they have no internal source of motivation that would power them forward. So using that metaphor of like the ship, okay, if no one's pushing me, well, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to, to sit here. So those kinds of stories that you might tell yourself about who you are and about what possibilities are available to you in which you've already decided without experimenting just aren't. And that work can take some time, but that's really important work to do at the beginning so that you can make a meaningful choice about second, which is which direction to head in. It's like all the directional clarity. Once you have open ocean, figuring out which direction to sail toward takes time. And that's the right moving from I know what I don't want to I know what I want. The book that I wrote, The Lawyer's Guide to Freedom, was specifically around bridging that gap between I know what I don't want, which is a start, but it's not a direction to I know what I want, which gives you enough of a focus to begin paddling, sailing. I don't know what kind of ship this this is. And for, for me, what I found, which I'm not saying is the only way, but what I noticed in, in a lot of interviews that I did and, and looking back through all of my client notes was that a lot of lawyers were, were taking it personally, that somehow this was indicative of like their identity. I'm just someone who doesn't know what they want as a personal limitation or failing, when really what was happening is that they were all skipping this one essential step. So it was really about process. It wasn't personal. And that step was the identification of their criteria. So let's say you set a goal of, I mean, very broadly, but I think this is narrow enough. I want a career I love. Fine. Okay. You want a career you love? Great. Let's set that as a, a goal. Well, how do you find that? You can't Google career I love. You can't go on LinkedIn and start searching for jobs or network with people and say, hey, I'm looking for a job I love. Can you, do you know where that is? Can you put me in touch? And that's where they were having difficulty. And so the identification of their criteria was what were the criteria, right? The specific features or characteristics that if met would lead to a job that you love. And so helping them and challenging them to get really clear on what those criteria were, was essential because what that gave them was a really usable, like functional direction, or a compass for setting which direction to head in. So that's one, pointing them in the direction and really importantly, helping them to recognize when they found what they were looking for. That is really huge. So figuring out what you're looking for and being able to recognize when you found it so that you can stop looking and commit to that thing. And that's the the book. I mean, I wrote it like longer and I spent a lot of time just like cutting out all the stuff that I thought was extraneous and maybe like ego, like, oh, they need to know this, but that wasn't absolutely essential to helping them to, to do that. But that was the tool that I wanted to offer not only my clients who I'm working with one-on-one, -on -one, which some people have the time and, you know, resources to do that, but not everyone does. So to have a tool that could be more accessible to people who are in that place and feeling really frustrated because they couldn't bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. Wondering for you what you've found 
is the doesn't necessarily have to be one thing, but what's what is in that gap between yeah. I know what I don't want and I know what I do, and how do you help your your clients make that jump? I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core 360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. This is basically the kernel of where I started with all of this in figuring out what is it that I actually want? What does happiness even mean? How do we define it? Digging into the science of it, the difference between saying I'm happy versus I'm fulfilled. I've just, I'm obsessed with answering all these questions. Hmm. And what I have found through all of the books that I've read and the courses that I've taken and everything else, it really comes down to, and this is going to be the antithesis of what we talked about with burnout, yeah. that what by and large across different cultures, ethnicities, genders, professions, universally, the three things that really contribute to our level of fulfillment are number one, we have some control or autonomy of how we use our time. Mm -hmm. So what you were talking about with I'm working on lighters, I'm working on these briefs, I don't feel like I have any control over my time and I can't breathe, that's what leads to the burnout. The second is I lack meaning in the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And the third is the quality of the relationships with the people that I have around me. So again, if we look at those from the perspective of, I know what I don't want, mm -hmm. I don't want to be told what to do when, I don't want to be getting text messages and phone calls and Zoom calls when it's the weekend, but well, I'm home and I'm available anyway, so what's the point? Or I just got out of surgery, but I'm just in bed. Lack of autonomy of time. The second is lack of meaning in your work where you're saying, Somebody did 85% of it. I'm just a machine that's filling the gaps, which AI at some point is probably going to be able to do for us in the relative near future anyway. So I'm just a warm body. What am I contributing to this? And number three, I'm around people that just see me as that warm body where they would replace me tomorrow. So if you can reverse those three and you can, number one, have more control and autonomy over your time, number two find work that has real meaning and number three, surround yourself with the right people, that changes your entire version of reality. And I want to dig into the second one very specifically. And I want to, I want to again, I'm going to make an assumption and a hypothesis and guess 
some of the experiences you've had with your clients and you tell me if I am onto something or if I'm just completely full of it. I would guess that you have found more than once with a client where they say, I hate being a lawyer. I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I just want to do anything but not being a lawyer. But if you dig in further, you might find that it's not the process of being the lawyer. Mm -hmm. It's the impact that their work as a lawyer is having. So instead of I'm a corporate attorney, well, I'm working with foster families to be able to bring children into their lives or I'm helping people with adoption Mm -hmm. Same day to day, maybe a little bit better hours, maybe not. But when you have a meaningful connection to the impact your work is having, it changes the game. So have you seen with your clients where the job actually doesn't change that much, but if they have more control over what they're doing and they get more meaning out of it, that it totally changes their perception of their reality? Yes, that is a correct hypothesis. And I would say most of the people that I work with do not leave the law. There's a whole cottage industry of coaches and counselors who help people to do that. And that's fine if that's where you are. A lot of people don't. And I'm certainly not in the camp of people should. I'm in the camp of you should get clear on what matters to you, what makes you happy, what success looks like for you, and to make choices that are in alignment with that, whatever that is. And most of the clients who I work with who are lawyers stay being lawyers. Some stay in their jobs, some move to a slightly different adjacent field, but are still practicing. And what changes is is primarily it's it's reclaiming some sense of of control. I would use the word uh, authority over their lives and the decisions that they're making. And that's the going from, in the metaphor that I use, from the 15% right, on the margins where most of your life is already spoken for. Like they would say, like, Philippe, look, you make these changes, but don't touch the rest because that was written by smarter, more experienced lawyers than you over the years. And like, it's perfect. Don't touch. Leave it as it is. And so that's this idea of, okay, most of how I'm living my life and what I'm being told to do was decided by other people who seem to know better or just this is how society is and I just need to accept it. Let me see what I can do in this little bit that's been left over. Let me see what I can do and live my life after nine or 10 o'clock at night or on like Saturday afternoons. But when I'm so tired, probably from the week that I have hobbies and interests that I would like to pursue, but I'm just on the couch because I'm like flat. I got nothing left. So moving from I have control over a little bit on the periphery to this is my life in its entirety. This is the full page. What choices do I want to make? And even that shift, and I would say like to your to your listeners, even if you stay in the same job and the only thing that changes is I'm stuck in this job and I have to do this and I have no other choice to, you know what, right now, this is a job that I'm choosing. It may not be longer term, but for now, for the reasons, you know, in my life, all the factors, I've decided that this is what makes the most sense. So I'm going to do this. And then I can make a different choice when I'm ready, when I reach a point in my life where a different choice would make more sense to me. Even if nothing else changes, that is going to significantly shift your experience of your day, your energy, your confidence, your, your I wouldn't say maybe necessarily excitement, but it's going to have an impact. And I would say you're nodding your head if that's 
I'm uh, nodding my head emphatically because, again, yeah. slightly different words to say yeah. the exact same thing. One of the core lessons that I teach a group of students that I have that's a subset of my coaching program is taking people that are relatively unfit, unhealthy, out of shape and turning them into Spartan racers and having them run their first Spartan race. Wow. And there's a lesson that I teach in one of the weeks because every week is a, a lesson in mindset that is then uh, basically demonstrated in a very physical setting. And I put them through, it's, it's a fair amount of misery. It's misery with love, but it's pretty miserable. Yeah. And I don't remember what exactly the exercise was at this time. I think it was, I had them climb up and down a very steep sand dune for hours. I mean, if you've ever walked through sand that's level, it's exhausting. Now imagine it at a 45 degree angle and it goes on for a quarter mile and it's not once, it's like five, six, seven, ten times. And I said, this is the mantra that I want in your mind as you're doing this. It's not, I have to climb this hill, I get to climb this hill. Yeah. Just that one shift changes your perception of reality. And one of the things I talk about with uh, working in the industry is that you may say that this is my nightmare job. This is a paycheck job. It's just for the money and I hate it. But that's your perspective. Your nightmare job could be somebody else's dream job. And the only difference is your perspective versus theirs. And you can shift your own perspective. So like you said, even if it's just for a short period of time, I get to do this. It helps me earn the money to keep my bills paid while I'm looking to go in another direction, if that's one of the circumstances. But it just comes back to, again, this belief of having this growth mindset to really see that the reality with which I'm presented is only one version. It's very subjective and not objective. Um, and I know that I promised that we were going to segue right to the end of this right on time. But this conversation is so good, I haven't been able to figure out a way to do it because I am totally in the zone with you right we're now. Good. We're good. I'm, I'm good. So, we can go as, you know, however you want. I'm not, I, I didn't schedule a, a call for right now. So we're. Well, good. We're, we're going to extend, we're going to break all of my rules about time management and respecting people's boundaries because you've totally sucked me in. And there's one more concept that I want to add to this that I think is the core, at least from my perspective. And again, you probably have a slightly different but same approach to this, yeah. which is really identifying with your why. So your why in quotes. Mm -hmm. And in my world, it would be what's your creative calling. And in mm -hmm. your world, it's probably very, very similar where, again, it's one thing to say, I want to be a lawyer or I want to be a successful lawyer or I want to be a corporate lawyer or a contracts lawyer or in the prosecution versus why did you really get into this? What was the spark? And if the spark was, well, when I was seven years old, I myself was in the foster system. And I remember there was this one lawyer that I met with that changed my life and put me from a bad situation to a good one. I want to help people. If that's your why and you don't realize it and you're drawing up contracts all day long, you're going to hate what you do. Mm -hmm. So for me, I really help facilitate where is your why? What is your creative calling? So that even if you're doing the same job for the same hours, even with the same people, if you can connect with the deeper impact, it changes your perspective. I'm curious how in your world you approach a similar challenge. Yeah. And this might be, this might be a little different. The way that I approach working with um, my clients is, well, helping them to figure out their why, but it's really the question is, well, what is genuinely motivating to you? So the subtitle of my book is six steps to discover what you actually want. And that word actually is a different right color and, and set out. And because that's really the, the crux of it is helping them to identify what is a genuine need, a genuine desire of theirs and to discern that from what they think they should be doing, what other people have put on them as expectations that they're trying 
to fulfill and to get at that because that is going to be the source of that sustaining motivation to move forward where that's motivation toward right that why i think that gets to the same idea it's that pull motive why to me is pull motivation right is someone helping you up the hill rather than the push motivation of like someone of someone behind and that it feels different i think energetically there's a different cost to push motivation of well if i don't do this then something bad's going to happen rather than man that thing looks really amazing this vision that i have of my life and the impact that i'm going to have is so inspiring and engaging i want to make that happen i want to do what i can to realize that so whatever that is as it relates to their career or not that also means putting career in context because for some people who i work with their career is is just a job and to allow them to accept that as well and to let it just be a job and to shift their motivation to other areas of their life is also something that they're looking for permission for so that they can establish balance right like a balance based on truth of how these different things matter to them and how they're weighted in their own lives and so that's a really big piece of this but once they establish that why of well, what are the areas in their life that are genuinely motivating to them then it's okay who do you need to to be i call it genuine confidence that's really the third so it's choice it's directional clarity and then it's confidence and the way that i speak about confidence isn't in the competence sort of way like i'm confident in my ability to what i have found is that for most people i speak with their success has come at the cost of their own needs so on their path to success if you look behind what you will see is a trail of broken promises to themselves they've kept the promises to everyone else they've met everyone's expectations but along the way whatever promises they've made to themselves i am going to like eat healthier i'm going to like pick up this like hobby whatever it is they've let that they've let that go so what they've developed is this inner crisis of trust where they literally don't believe themselves when they make a commitment to themselves when they make a promise to themselves and so long as you're taking action because other people are telling you what to do and you're just like well i need to do it or or else well then that's not a problem but the second you try to shift your locus of motivation and your why from so i don't get in trouble and disappoint people to because this genuinely matters to me then that becomes extremely important that is your biggest asset your belief in yourself your confidence that when you commit to something that it matters that your word matters and that you're going to follow through but that's one of the biggest things that we then work on but that only becomes relevant once lawyer once clients have turned their attention from uh-oh these people are going to be pissed if i don't do this thing i better do it to what actually matters to me what do i want to stand for in my life what am i being called to in my life for anybody that missed it we had what i like to call a mic drop moment this is one of those that even me listening today it hit me this one would hit me like a ton of bricks seven years ago your path to success is littered with broken promises to yourself holy man did that hit like a ton of bricks because that is exactly what I hear from so many people that I work with, myself included, one point. You have all of these ideas, all of these visualizations, all of these, as we talked about earlier, expectations. 
mm-hmm. realizing that the reality you're in doesn't meet the expectations. And there are so many other things that you probably said no to for yourself, for the benefit of yourself, whether it was sleep, whether it was time with family, with kids, with friends, whatever it might have been, all those broken promises then met your own expectations. So you then just meet other people's expectations. That is such a huge and profound idea that I just, I needed to make sure to emphasize because that one really, really hits hard for so many people. Yeah. And um, it's something that I've had to learn, right? You you know this, right? We're only saying things, we're only teaching things that we need to learn ourselves and be reminded of ongoingly. So that's still something that's very much alive for me in my life and my work. And I would say just one more thing to not to button it up because there's so much more that we could talk about with this. It's wonderful to be able to to jam out on these topics that I know are so important and near to dear to both of us in our in our lives. The real kicker is that all of these elements, right, expanding choice so that you can make a meaningful choice about which direction you want to head in and developing genuine confidence in yourself so that you believe that you're going to do it and follow through. All of that has to be there in place so that when you go to execute and come up with your plan, right, and your strategies and your tactics and your systems and all of that, you're heading toward a goal that you actually want to reach and that you're going to follow through on on your plan. So that part that I think a lot of people and myself included want to run to that we're more comfortable with, which is just the execution and the doing. Give me a give me a plan. Give me a to do list. Give me some tasks. Let's go. It feels good to be doing things. And that is, of course, essential right, to getting the results that we want in our life. So it is an essential pillar to this. And if we rush to that and rush past this inner work first, then we might be working really hard and our plan may be working really well, but there's a, a we increase the risk that when we reach whatever goal we've set in that plan that we're not going to like where we are. And that's going to be a moment where, again, we pick our head up and look around and go, what the hell, what just happened? How did I get here? And I go to great lengths often at the, uh, let's say, frustration, protest, annoyance of my clients to slow them down. Certainly in the beginning of us like working together to make sure that before they get going with their task list and all their stuff, which I know, you know, you're, I would love to, uh, there were a bunch of questions that I had around some organization and productivity and things that like I could really, really learn because it's so important that before they get there and use these incredible tools to reach the goals they want, that they've really connected with these other elements and are on uh, firm ground. I couldn't agree with all of this more. And essentially what we've come to is the very beginning of the process. And we could be talking about this literally for hours and hours. And something tells me that we might in the future. And if you ever wanted to to geek out on productivity and task lists and project management and all that other stuff, that's just another entire phase of the program I run people through. But to just cap off what you said, I can give them all the strategies, the tactics, the Trello courses, everything else. If they, number one, don't know where they're going and number two, don't believe they can get there, we're wasting our time. You got to have that component first. And I spent an inordinate amount of time covering that first before it's like, all right, now let's talk about Todoist. Now let's talk about your calendar time blocks, right? Because you can be efficient with your time, very different than being effective with your time. 
Amen. And I've been incredibly effective, but I have one last question and I don't ask it of all of my guests and all of my episodes because it's not always applicable, but I do think it's very applicable to today. And that is that I want you to become a time traveler and I want you to travel back in time and you're going to get on the subway and instead of the nurse stopping by you, it's you. What advice are you going to give yourself the day that you discovered that you had a tumor? I would actually say, be patient. Don't rush. I don't say this. I love you asked a question that really gave, I needed to take a moment to really think about it. I love that question. Not from a, a place of you'll enjoy the, the journey, not from some enlightened place. It's going to be difficult. And I genuinely do believe this now. And I think about this most days of my life. I, as hard as it was, I am so grateful that I went through that without that thyroid, without my body literally taking over and grounding me for a few weeks and putting me in that place where physically I was so shook that it shook me out of my hypnosis, out of work where I could pick my head up and look around. I might've gone another 10, 20, 30 years, who knows, in that job with my head down because I was mentally like pretty committed to it. And I'd spent decades of my life working to get to that place. And the fear around doing anything different or what would happen if I didn't stay on that path was so tremendous that it was unthinkable to me at that time to imagine doing anything else. So it really is by the grace of whoever is is in charge, whoever is pulling the strings, that this tumor put me, you know, on my back for a little bit and gave me an opportunity to created space in my life for some of these really worthy questions to come in. That's how I would put it. And I'm really grateful that they did as hard as it was, as you know, crazy as the looks were that I got from my family and friends when they thought that I was blowing up my life and throwing everything away that I worked so hard for. How many people have heard that one? For all that, and which is the hero's journey, it wouldn't be a story without it. There would be nothing to bring back to the village to share, to enhance the life and bring vitality back to your community without that experience. So I would say to him, hey man, you're look, you're gonna lose your hair over time, but like, don't worry. I think you can actually like pull it off. Like it'll be fine, like don't stress. And also just be patient with this, this experience. I don't think I could have wrapped it up any better or more profoundly, very sage wise advice for lawyers and far beyond editors, creatives, writers, just human beings. I think we all need to hear right now with the speed that our culture is moving, be patient, slow down, right? And also seeing that there's a gift in the adversity, huge gift in the adversity that you went through. So the final gift that I want to give to you specifically is that it's the shameless promotion portion of the program. So to wrap it up, is there anything that you want to talk about that you're involved with? Do you want to guide people to a website, to a retreat, to a getaway? If people want to learn more about you, they want to connect with you, they want to work with you, how do they do that? Sure. Oh, thank you. Well, my website for my coaching is bluepenproject.com. And on that website, you'll be able to learn about the my book, The Lawyer's Guide to Freedom, courses, and my one-on-one work. Right now, depending on when this, this podcast will come out, the other thing, and really my passion, one of my passion projects that we didn't get into, but it's been in the, the room. A lot of what we've been talking about is, is in this, which is the garden, which is a retreat that I'm running in Greece from July 
15th to the 26th uh, with a friend of mine, Derek, that will take us from Athens to Samos to the top of Mount Olympus. Wow. Talk about a, yeah, we could have a whole other discussion when you talk about the sand dunes of, of what happens up there. Uh, and then to Delphi, where the oracle was and gave her prognostications about, about what would happen, about what the fates had to say. So that's those dates. You can learn about that at thegarden2023.com. I uh, would love for you to join us if you're so inclined. I love it. I'm going to make sure that we have all of the information necessary in the show notes. If anybody wants to reach out to me directly for more info, I'm happy to send it. If anybody wants to reach out to Philippe directly, they can definitely do that as well. And I just want to kind of close this by saying how important this conversation is, I believe, for everybody beyond just lawyers, but anybody that's human, we're all sharing this human experience. And I'm just, I'm very grateful and thankful that Julie brought you into my life because my first response was, I mean, to have a lawyer on the show? I don't get it. Well, what's, what's the pitch? And now at the end of it, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad that you and I had this conversation and we can share it with others. This was a profound experience for me and I really, really appreciate you being here. So thank you. Thank you very much, Zach. Thank you for the warm invitation and the opportunity to spend this time with you. It really, it was meaningful and enlivening and I learned a lot as well. So thank you. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.